Welcome to Now Playing's review of Avatar. You out of your jarhead mind? You crossed the line. Hosted by Marjorie, Arnie, and Stuart. Ladies and gentlemen, you are not in Kansas anymore. You are on Pandora. With this being the biggest holiday release and touted as a breakthrough in 3D movie making, we will be reviewing this film. This will be a spoiler-filled discussion of the movie, so if you are spoiler-sensitive, come back after you've seen the film. Today we're talking about Avatar, directed by James Cameron, starring Sam Worthington, Zoe Saldana, Stephen Lang, Michelle Rodriguez, Giovanni Ribisi, and Sigourney Weaver. Okay, it's got some people in it and some blue people in it. Let's go. <laughs> All right, and... Again, as the credits said, this will have spoilers, and let's start off with a plot summary for people who just don't care about spoilers but haven't yet seen the movie. <laughs> who like to be spoiled. <laughs> I want to know what I'm getting into before I see a movie. And let's be fair, this movie has been under a cloud of secrecy for much of its run. I mean, I've known about this movie in some form for 10 years, ever since they were talking about Cameron was under Antarctica ice. Uh, filming things for a movie about outer space. And that was like, you know, b before 2000. Okay, but let me ask you a question before we get into the spoilers. Did you see the trailer before you saw the movie? Of course. Did you see it at Comic-Con? I did not see it at Comic-Con. I saw, obviously, the, the three-minute trailer, the longest trailer I ever put out, and I saw the teaser, and I also went to Avatar Day. I saw 15 minutes of footage beforehand, so I knew how it was going to look. Okay, but did you know what the story was? I, I think the spoiler-free, if you've seen the trailer, you've got a spoiler because you know what's going to happen. I kind of knew... Kind of. All right. Well, the plot is it's 2154 and humans are mining the moon of Pandora for a mineral named unobtainium. Original name. I like that. It actually is real. Is it? Yeah. It's a name that they give anything that uh, scientists are trying to get. That's like Cameron didn't make that up. I know it sounds stupid, but it's actually real. Yeah. Okay. It, it really does, does sound, sound stupid. stupid. Yeah. <laughs> According to Wikipedia, it's a facetious term used for anything extremely rare, costly, or physically impossible. Correct. In the movie, they weren't using it facetiously. They were saying this was the name of a mineral. Right. And in order to get this mineral, they have to evict the native population, the Navi, who are basically 10-foot-tall blue cat people. And they are very at one with nature to the point that they actually can kind of link to nature through their head tails, kind of like network cables. Rather than just kill the Navi because that's a PR nightmare, CEO Giovanni Ribisi hires scientist Sigourney Weaver and her team to try to peacefully relocate the Navi. Sam Worthington plays Jake Sully, a Marine who is recruited to be part of the Avatar program when his twin brother dies. His twin brother has a genetic link with an Avatar, which is a Navi-human DNA combination, which can be controlled remotely while in some kind of sleeping pod. Because Jake is a DNA match for his twin brother, Jake is able to pick up where his brother left off, thus saving the company trying to mine the unobtainium on the moon of Pandora quite a bit of money in having to build a new avatar. Upon arriving at Pandora, Jake takes control of his avatar and is happy to have legs again because in his marine form, Jake is a paraplegic and cannot afford to have his legs fixed, but becomes separated from the other avatars, meets up with Natiri, a princess of the Navi tribe. Are you still with us? 
Hello. <laughs> and that's only the first 30 minutes. <laughs> Natiri takes Jake and starts to show him the ways of the Navi. And Jake finds his allegiances shifting from his human employers to the na- nature-loving Navi people. When the humans try to evict the Navi by force, Jake takes up the side of the Navi, helping lead them in battle against the humans. Along with a few other humans involved in the insurrection, a giant battle breaks out between all the tribes of the Navi and the humans, and eventually, Jake leads the Navi to victory. So there's a lot going on. (laughs) It's a bit dense to process. It's probably the most top-heavy action spectacular I can think of in recent memory. There's just so much to learn, and you can tell it feels like what it is. It feels like it was a movie made by a guy who spent the last ten years thinking about how little insects might run up a tree bark. You know, like, it's like, he's thought about everything, and it's really, really, really dense. Here's what I was reminded of in watching it, and that was the Lord of the Rings trilogy, in that You know, for Lord of the Rings, they developed an elven language. I think that was actually maybe for the book, but book or movie, they have the elven language. And the whole universe is so robust. And that was what I thought of here is they really did a great job of world crafting. They took this fictitious moon of Pandora and just had everything laid out every type of foliage every type of fauna every type of creature air and land and yes they did some marvelously geeky world building and Mm. i bet you know the role-playing game supplements for this will be awesome yes (laughs) but did you notice yeah he was very intricate in developing all the world and all the creatures and everything but i noticed numerous times that it focused on the nostrils of the beasts did you notice that there There were several nostril shots (laughs) yeah i mean there was certainly a lot of detail there and yet nothing had any genitalia yes (laughs) that's that's highly apparent because you know we we get some nipple shots even but uh there is nothing going on down there but a tail but not just the navi had no genitalia like the animals had no genitalia Mm. Yeah, I didn't think about that so much. But I, not staring... that I'm sitting around looking for CGI schlong, mind you. But <laughs> the girls had boobs still. I think the tail is what they. I mean, they get off on is plugging in the tail. There was certainly a metaphor there. Mm-hmm. I think, especially since it said, you know, when he's looking at his tail, Jake's looking at his tail, and Sigourney Weaver says, "If you play with that, you'll go blind." Yeah, yeah, yeah. They know what they've got with that. I like that little device. I like the whole idea. One of the things I liked about the completeness of this world that they get to is the idea that it's all hardwired, like it's actually a a living single organism and that you can essentially plug into anywhere and kind of get into it in kind of a pseudo-sexual, empathic way. I thought that was kind of a neat way of uh, conceiving of a new world. I liked the concept. I did. I was just a little bit hesitant about Jake's ability to do it. The whole thing with the Avatar was really poorly defined in my view, because for a world that is so detailed, I as an audience member never quite knew how the Avatar could work and how Jake, a human controlling an Avatar, would be able to do those things uh natural-born Navi could do. I actually 
actually kind of felt like they had not explained a lot of the stuff on the human side. They put so much detail and so much work into the Navi that on the humans, I really felt like I needed a primer before because it just seems like so much of it was left out on their end as far as like, you know, with the sleep pods or whatever they do. And they never really explained like one question I had. It's if, if you die as a Navi, do you die in your little pod. And that was definitely something that I, I was thinking of very, very early on. They do actually explain it at the end. They have the nerd boy one. His Navi does die. And then he pops out of his chamber gasping, holding his chest like he had just experienced death. But he ends up putting on a mask and going out and being fine. Yeah, that is the thing that got me is there's scenes early on where Jake is being attacked. He's the in his avatar body and he's being attacked by animals and he's running for his life. And all I could keep thinking is, and what's the big deal? It's a bit of an expense. I realize it's inconvenient if the animal eats mm-hmm. the avatar, but it's it. it I was constantly removed from that because it's like there's no real danger here. It's like dying in a video game. It may. But did you know that? Did you know that at the time? Because I didn't realize that until later. The way that they dispense the information, it takes so. You're asking that question for most of the movie. If he dies in his avatar body, will he die in in reality? And the answer is no. But we don't know that until long after most of the danger has passed. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing. I assumed it. I assumed Mm. his body was safe because, you know, they could just constantly shut him down and things. There was Mm -hmm. so much going on with that body being protected that they needed to somehow telegraph danger in order for those scenes to be exciting. Because to me, all I could think of is Jake's playing a video game. And yes, it sucks if you have to die and start your level over, but there's no real danger to him. When he's jumping off the tree following Natiri for a big fall, again, I'm like, yeah, it's like when I push Laura Croft off the ledge in Tomb Raider. I gotta start over. It It's almost like if the way they were feeling with this part is that the audience goes in with a certain knowledge of this avatar technology, like it's part of our everyday life, and it's not. That's how it kind of felt. For some people, it is. I mean, it should be said that avatar culture, you know, second world, or isn't that what it's called, second life? There is the second life and all those MMORPGs. The virtual world. People more and more are living through characters like this. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can't tell you... I'm sure that there's tons of hookups, divorces, marriages, baby daddies all through World of Warcraft. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, and I I get that, but I just, if there had been a line about, you know, Sigourney Weaver telling Jake, we don't know what will happen if you die, Mm -hmm. that would have added some tension. Because, Because there was nothing paid to it, no attention at all paid to it, I just felt he was completely safe back in his pod, which he he was. They trick you because when they're when they're flying around, Jake gets separated from the rest of the crew down there, and they're flying around trying to find him. Sigourney says some ominous line like, well, he won't live till nightfall, and they fly away. That, to me, implies they think they've lost a man. They tricked mm-hmm. me. By the time I realized that he really wasn't in danger, uh, that moment was over. See, for in that scene for me, I thought she was searching for the expensive avatar not because he was actually in any danger himself so arnie basically you knew what was going on and i didn't because i i did not anticipate the things that you took as uh second nature yeah that's well he's also a video game boy yeah Yeah, that's what i saw this as is like the ultimate vr video game 
Mm. I, I kept having Lawnmower Man flashbacks. I gotta admit, several times during this movie, I thought of the old 1990 Stephen King Lawnmower Man. And yes, I was thinking it was Pierce Brosnan and Jeff Fahey in the chair all over again. Wow. <laughs> anyway, you know what? I think we're really tapping into here, and it's something I, I did experience is that, particularly for the first half of this movie, one of the th- ingredients that is essential to every James Cameron movie, and I am a James Cameron fan. He's never made a bad movie. I've never disliked any of his movies. He is so good with suspense and tension, and that is his trademark. Is I think of him as really being able to craft exciting, I don't know what's going to happen next, suspense. This movie, I was not in suspense. Okay, good. I'm glad that you said that because I, you're leading up to this. I'm like, oh my God, please tell me he wasn't in suspense. No. Because there no. was none. No, there was no suspense to this movie. It really felt, for the first half, like if National Geographic went to another planet and made a documentary, this is what we would get. I Mm -hmm. cannot agree more, because what I kept thinking of is, before 3D was the commonplace movie experience that it was, it was basically restricted to IMAX, and they had all those IMAX science films in 3D. The nature things, yeah. And we saw one, and it was narrated by Tom Cruise. I can't remember which one. Was it space? It was in space. It was space. And I just remember thinking, wow, that's really beautiful. I'm still bored as shit, but it looks good. And that was (laughs) how I felt in this movie, is I felt like I was back in that IMAX And that took up an hour of the movie, too. No, it's it's. I would say even more than a mo- an hour. It felt like yes, ninety minutes of it. At one point, I turned to Arnie and said, "Wow, that took thirty minutes." Mm-hmm. There's some part that just I think it was the beginning where it just took to get to the planet, and it was nothing was happening. You were getting no backstory. Right. Yeah. Those of you that are primed for a big action movie, you're going to get it, but you're not going to get it right away. And it's about thirty minutes at the end only. It truly is meted out very, very gradually. There's a you know a couple animal chase scenes here and there, but for the most part, this is National Geographic looks at Pandora, and uh, you got to be okay with that. It should be said, Cameron he made a couple movies in between Titanic that were in that format. He went back to Titanic, and then I think he did another deep sea movie, and all of this inspiration for these characters, this world, all of this minutia has come from all of his deep sea dives, the phosphorescence of the creature. Features. There's jellyfish. The horses look like seahorses. All of the designs and the inspiration came from him spending a lot of time underwater in the Arctic. And um, you gotta you gotta approach it. I think from the mind of a scientist, you gotta want to see how a hardwired planet works. If you're going to appreciate the first half of the movie, I enjoyed it, but I was surprised because it was not a suspense-filled Cameron action spectacular. It was docile and and hippie. It was like if you smoked a bunch of weed and and looked at your Keebler's Elf <laughs> package <laughs> at the tree too hard, uh, you would probably come up with the this story. Well, and then went to a head shop and looked at everything under black light. Yes. With the, the Keebler light. elves, yeah. yeah because... I love the phosphorence, though. When they when it goes at nighttime and they're walking around and he's hitting things and they start glowing in the dark, I, it was trippy. But that totally reminded me of a video game, though. I don't mm. know. It just really was... Actually, you know what it reminded me of? This is awful. It reminds me of the Lego games because you need to go through some of the levels. When you step, things light up. Oh, well, I don't play video games, so maybe if I did, I would be a little more jaded about it. But I thought it was fun to play around in this world. And he certainly milks it for all it's worth. Now, here, here's the thing. You said you weren't in suspense. Mm-mm. My problem was I wasn't even engaged. Mm. I was sitting there, and yes, it was beautiful. 
but he played the same tricks too often. At one point, we're seeing the 10th shot of high up and seeing how high they are. And I lead over to Marjorie and said, I get it. They're high. It's in 3D. <laughs> I understand. Mm -hmm. But that was so beautiful. You know, I've done a lot of hiking in Southern California, and I got to say, they get the tactiles right. When you look out over a mountain ledge, when you're when you're hanging and touching tree bark and all that, like that stuff is just so nice. Like I don't, I I didn't mind the leisurely pace we took with it. I was totally wanting to be there. You know, I think that a lot of it just should have been special features on the DVD. Mm -hmm. Because really, I would have liked some of it, but he gave too much. It was too indulgent. Mm -hmm. It's indulgent. The whole thing, it should be said, is very, very indulgent. And I do feel like this movie could be, from a, from a narrative standpoint, easily an hour longer to really give time to all the ideas that are here. But I wouldn't want this movie to be any longer than it is. And you're probably right. It probably could have been cut down into a much more satisfying pace. Well, let's get to what you just said, because we completely agree. Mar because mm -hmm. Marjorie and I saw this together and we said the same thing. It seems like he spent so much time crafting the world. When I started, I said he did wonderful world crafting. And I meant that he did no good character crafting. No, there was no character development. I mean, yes, Jake Sully was paralyzed, we are to assume, in the wheelchair. And he can walk at the Avatar, but we saw no struggle or anything he had with his disability, which was implied, but it just wasn't implied very well. Even worse, they they bring up this whole thing about his twin brother dying and we see his body burning and that never plays into anything again. I'm like, if you're going to kill a character and bring a character in because of a death, I would like to understand his relationship to that character. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen what made him turn sides beyond just, wow, tree's pretty. I would like to have seen something personal in him that made him switch his allegiance. Like he had some sort of internal struggle. But Arnie, tree was pretty. It really was pretty. I get it. I totally would have turned too. That place was awesome. Yeah, but the thing is, I just needed more there. I Yeah. If this guy was a tree-loving hippie, he wouldn't have signed up in the first place. The fact is, at the very beginning of the movie, we see Jake and there's this military sergeant and he takes jake aside and says on paper you work for her but you work for me and i'm gonna help you get new legs and jake's like yeah whoa i'm mil military i'm marine you know and mm -hmm. then by the end he's like completely changed that allegiance and we're never really we're told it and the whole isn't the rule of movie making show don't tell it is of good storytelling, yes. And here, we're told, because we get actually to see his diaries of, I'm now feeling more like the Navi. I don't know yeah. where my allegiance is like, but we never see why. You I don't watched, see that turn. I watched the movie Wall Street the other day, and there's this really bad scene with Charlie Sheen looking out over New York, and he goes, who am I? And that's the moment where he's turning away from being Gordon Gecko's pawn to being his own man. Mm -hmm. But at least we get that scene. We don't have the who am I scene in Avatar. I'll say this much about it. He did already get his legs. It was in an Avatar body, mm -hmm. but he, he did get to experience what it was to walk again. So I can imagine that was part of it. But you're right. This storytelling... It's it's hard to get this all in. It's hard to we had hard time explaining the movie to people. It's a hard it's a lot of movie. <laughs> there's a lot going on here and it's you can sense, you know, sometimes there's voiceover narration, narration, sometimes there's flashback, there's these video diaries. They didn't know how to really streamline this story to make it flow 
uh, in the way that you would expect or, or want. Um, it becomes much more of a travelogue than it is um, a satisfying outer space boy adventure story. I will say this, though. I think Zoe Saldana is great in her part, and if there's one selling point to the world, I did like to see them as characters in love. And I didn't know that that was going to work. I was very apprehensive that he could make a love story work with 10-foot-tall blue people with no genitalia, and I will say Zoe is awesome in this. I couldn't get enough of staring into her face. The faces of the Navi are so expressive, and she's so good in the part that you need big emotions. It's corny, yes, but you need big emotions to bring you into all of this sort of nerd-specific minutiae. And if there's a selling point as to why he would turn, there's a selling point as to why he would want to stay, it's her. And she's good. She is good in the role. And here's one thing that we haven't mentioned, and I think all three of us are taking it for granted. This movie looks great. It does. Oh, my God. It's the most impressive tactile experience of another world I've ever experienced. A lot of things now, what they're doing with the 3D, are so freaking cheesy, and... and they're still doing the Friday the 13th Part 3, there's a stick in your yeah. eye. And this I, I, movie yes. didn't do it, but it, it did it in a way, but it wasn't as, hey, here's your 3D experience, boo. It became second nature. Yeah. It was truly the first time I've seen a 3D film where I understand that 3D isn't a gimmick, 3D is the future. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. because during many of the scenes, it's not – there were a few scenes. There was like one of Giovanni Ribisi pointing at the audience and it was like, all right, there's the cheesy scene. But for the most part, at times I forgot it was 3D and just be- it just became It's just pretty. Yeah. And pretty. I don't know who's in whose back pocket, but this might just be what 3D needs to get Americans out of their home theaters and spending mm-hmm. money in the movie theater again. Because yeah. seriously, w- we love Netflix – Download movies from Amazon, everything, all the time, because we have the TV and the speakers and all that. And I can sit there in my pajamas with my own popcorn and not spend 50 bucks going to the movie. And not have some douchebag sitting next to me with kicking text the da- messaging or the some asshole behind me kicking the seat. Yeah. So it's... We had a bad movie experience because... And then the, also the I'd like to point theater. out... No, Stuart, I'd like to think that the movie crowd you saw this movie with was a little bit more upper class, maybe a little bit more cultured than the rubes here that we saw it with because they were grabbing at the screen trying to catch the 3D effects. <laughs> oh, wow. I love it. Yeah. I did that when I was a child watching Captain EO. So you know. I-, I was embarrassed to be there. <laughs> you know what, though? I've done that once or twice myself. <laughs> it's the thing is, you, you, you should almost have a seat at the beginning where it's like, grab here now and then get on with it because, yeah, they were all grabbing <laughs> at things in the screen and 3d is the new thing supposed to get us out of our sofas and into the theaters again and spend money again yet they charge a premium for mm. it yeah how much did it cost us yeah this, just it excluding cost the, the two of us like 30 dollars to see this movie and yeah. we didn't even see it on imax okay i saw it on imax i went to a matinee and a matinee was 14 dollars ah I think it was 12 per ticket for us but then there was a convenience charge for ordering online mm-hmm. fandango so what do you guys think of 3D in cinema? Because, again, I said earlier, this is phenomenal. I've always thought 3D was a gimmick. Mm-hmm. And here I thought it was well used. But I, I think see- here's your problem, though. And I had the same problem as you. Is I thought 3D was gimmicky. And I'm like, oh, crap, all these 3D movies. But I think what you have to separate is the 3D of our childhood, which was gimmicky, versus a 3D now, which actually gives us a more robust 
film where you can see depth. It's not about the spear coming towards your eye or the blood splattering on you. It's about seeing a better image. I agree. The most impressive 3D effect in this whole movie, the one that just knocked me in my seat, was when they have a rotating hologram of a human head. And you really felt like it was depth there. Oh, and see, here's the part that got me, which I thought was very well done, was when they were burning the tree and the ash was falling and he had woken up because they woke him up and his avatar fell down. Then he woke up, got back in the sleep pod. The ash falling down was really good. And it really, you, you felt that, like there were actually things floating in front of your eyes because they're all different sizes, different depths, more so than, and I imagine, I will say probably snow in a 3D movie would be phenomenal because you would feel like you are when you stand outside when it's snowing. Mm-hmm. But here, now I, I have to say my problem with the 3D, totally unrelated to the picture, but I wear contacts. I wear the gas perm, which are the hard contacts. My eyes dried out so bad with the glasses on and I think that my eyes have to focus more on the movie and i I, had a headache i actually got a headache with this one and it's because it was so long i've seen a couple of shorter movies in 3d i didn't get the headache but in watching two hours and 45 minutes probably longer with the trailers the eye strain glasses on i started getting a real bad eye strain headache yeah it was a bit much and i actually had to come home and take my contacts out because my eyes were just so much so dry and they're bothering me and it was just I had such bad eye strain. Hmm. I, I, I would I would say for me, the experience was uh, well, as we spoke of. I like the fact that it is not um, a three D that calls attention to itself. I definitely felt immersed in the world, and this is the kind of world that you want to. If you're going to be invested in it at all in the first ninety minutes, you have to feel like you're there, and I did, and I appreciated that. Um, I think this technology is going to be great for all kinds of movie making. I saw in this movie the potential to tell all kinds of stories in three D, whereas before it seemed very much like genre horror movie. Uh, you know, stuff the like that. It was but, just but, okay. But t- will t- something like the Big Chill be better in 3D? I think it could. I think it could. If you can believe that you're there with the people, I think you can be more even potentially be more empathetic. Can I ask a dumb girl question now? They're coming out with 3D capable TVs next year, and that's gonna, supposed to be the next big thing. Mm-hmm. Does that mean you have to wear the glasses when you're at yes. home? Too? Oh, see that. That totally takes you out of the movie experience. I don't think I would do that at home unless there's some radical new, perhaps more comfortable glasses because they hurt my ears and nose after a while. But because they're they're not made custom for you and they're not customizable at all to make them fit your head. But are you really going to sit down, throw your feet up on the ottoman, put on a pair of glasses and watch a movie? That is the big question they have is will people do that? And what they're saying, the... Sales point of it is is going to be sports, like watching the Super Bowl and seeing the 3D. Oh. Uh, I don't know. I imagine people breaking their TV sets more often. You know, if they feel really that close to it, will they charge the set? Will they get that hopped up about it? A couple drinks in oh, them, yeah. you know what I mean? Could be a problem. But will people sit around and wear the glasses? The glass, you know, someday they're going to have 3D that just like beams into our eyes from a set. And we're, they're going to look back and laugh at when people used to wear glasses in their living room like that. But like the virtual reality stuff never took off. Like the big, big bulky headsets you put on, <laughs> those never took off. Yeah, and Nintendo's Virtual Boy. Yeah. <laughs> and the CGI, I mean, I thought Jar Jar Binks was good in 99. I thought the T-Rex was good <laughs> in 93. You want to cut that part out, Arnie. <laughs> but here's one thing that they did correct with the CGI. They made the Navi walk 
somewhat normal. My main beef with the CGI characters is their hips don't move right. And that well, their hips don't move is the hips problem. Don't lie. And it's, I don't know, they're awkward. And it fascinates me and horrifies me and mystifies me all at the same time. But these people walked normal. And I think yeah. that was really good. And while specifically the Sigourney Weaver avatar freaked me out because it was quite clearly Why did she face. have to wear clothes? None of the other uh, ones were modest. <laughs> She, yeah. She's getting up there, you know, postmenopausal fat and had to kind of keep her yeah, covered. She, she's a 60-year-old woman. Even if she's tall and blue, she might want to just think about her body and, yeah. you know, how she's presented. Let, and, let me tell you. Because that part actually took me out of the movie. Her little tank top and shorts took me out of the movie, and it made me think of The Sims. Yeah, it did make me think of The Sims. And she's from Stanford. You know, she went to Stanford, so I guess she had to sport her alumni colors. Yeah. <laughs> well, the thing is, seeing her de-aged avatar face was creepy it really that one freaked me out but everything else here looked tactile and looked real and was so believable the that i mean yes it was as far as special effects go the single most advanced effects film we've ever seen and cameron's done it before he did it with terminator and before that abyss and titanic was a great thing for its day with the ship sinking. Yeah, it looks phenomenal, and we're taking that for granted, but effects don't make a film. Mm -mm. Michael Bay should know that better than anybody. And <laughs> Just throw in some explosions. People will love it. Even George Lucas, for that matter. I mean, people complain about The Phantom Menace, but again, I said Jar Jar was believable. There were some great things in Phantom Menace as far as, like, Coruscant and the various CGI goes. The CGI is the best we've ever seen, but... It's a milestone, but we're going to see it again in the future now. Yes. The technology now exists, and it's going to be used again and again and again. And so what I focus on in my review with this is the story. Because, yes, I can say right now this is the most pretty CGI in a film yet. But next year it'll be beaten. Mm -hmm. And the year after that it'll be beaten again. So is this film worth seeing just for CGI? You got to have a story there. And that's where this is failing for me. And yes, I agree with you. They did a really good job. Uh, that actress, Zoe Saldana, <laughs> did a great job in embodying the Navi. But I didn't feel their love story worked because there's that montage again where she's training him and showing him how to fly and everything. And he smiles at her and she smiles at him. And I'm thinking, but why are they falling in love? It It's the old movie cliche of if a man and a woman work closely together, they have to fall in love because that's just what happens. <laughs> Absolutely, because, you know, we just cannot control our sex drive and we're such simple creatures. There was nothing there as far as personality went. They were, you know, again, it's a cliche of opposites attract, I guess, because yeah, mm. she's so him. military and she's so nature loving. But nothing happened. There was no moment where you see these two falling in love. You can They show it on screen with the smiles, but you don't get the why. It's just you've seen it in movies before. Man and woman work together and then the opposites fall in love. And so we're just going to put that here in Cliff Notes well, version. Actually, that's pretty much the any Kate Hudson slash Owen Wilson slash anybody Luke Wilson movie is <laughs> – Opposites attract. But I just didn't buy why they well, would fall in and love. Well, what's happened, and I, I still think the CGI, I can't deny it, it's beautiful, but you focus so much on one thing and putting that much detail into how this tentacle looks, something's going to fall by the wayside. And that was plot, story, character development. And I couldn't even buy sexual attraction because as wonderfully rendered as the CGI was, the Navi were not attractive to me as a human. So there had to be something deeper than the physical there for this species 
type you, of love. You don't go for the Smurf look? I know you used to like Smurfs. Not like that, I didn't. <laughs> um, I'm going to disagree a little bit in that I think that the story, I was not moved. I was not moved by the story. I was invested. I could go along with it. It was serviceable. I cared enough to know what would happen, and I wanted the uh, lovers to get together, and I wanted the tree pluggers uh, to find their way. I was not crying. I was not stirred in the heart. And Cameron's good at that. You know, he's usually really good at getting you to care. But I think this shows a limitation of how much you can get people on your side here. I mean, I cared enough, but I'm not I'm not going to totally go with a foreign race creature world. It's just there's still, I guess, a, a lack of humanity to it that that prevents me from totally jumping over. Or maybe it's just plot development. Maybe if I had had more time with them, I would have felt their love. But That's the thing is if we had a few scenes where we could see them connecting on an emotional level mm-hmm. and if we knew a little bit more about Jake Sully's life before and like you said, if they maybe – fleshed out the brother thing they had some common bond some emotional spark instead it's just she showed him how to hunt and he fell in love because of it well and you get no there's nothing there to make you care about any of the characters except the navi because their land's being stolen but then you start to feel guilty because well that's what has been happened over history and that's the emotional response they're trying to get but not enough to make you really care about the navi yeah, I, I mean, would it have been interesting? Let's just let's just rewrite this a little. It would certainly be more expedient. Is what if the twin brother had uh, already been on the planet and established a relationship with Natiri, and it was a negative one, and that when he dies for whatever reason that he dies, and the uh, other brother has to step in, he has to act like his brother, he has to assume like him, but he has a different personality. Wouldn't that have been more interesting? More to the point, what if, and again, this is cliche, and this I'm just coming up with right this second, but what if the brother had been killed by the corporation because he started to feel for the Na'vi or something like that, and so they killed him knowing that there was a replacement, and then his anger against the corporation isn't just you're killing the Na'vi, but it's also personal. You know, right. They wanted that guy out of there so they could have a jarhead in there that'll do mm-hmm. what they say. Yeah. And they, and they kind of get at that, but it's a long way around. I mean, there's, there's the, the answers to these questions are complicated and it takes a long time for Cameron to explain them. And we really need simplicity as much as simple as you can make this the better because there's so much to get lost in and there's so much to, to process here. Uh, and honestly, if you, right off the bat, can't identify with any of the characters or can't empathize or feel for their cause or anything, you're not going to be interested in the movie. And that's just... Yeah, yeah I, mean, I had no character who I could connect with in no. this film at all. No, in fact, my my biggest excitement, aside from the CGI, I'm like, hey, that's the guy from Grandma's Boy. Yes. That uh, was my... Who you may know also from The Hottie and The Naughty. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. That, wow. He, Joel David Moore as Norm Spellman. He was, oh, wow. Yeah. The, the, a lucky man who gets to work with Paris Hilton and James Cameron. I wonder who was the bigger bitch to him, really. <laughs> well, see, and I, I think that Cameron does do a great job at making you feel for the characters because I'll be honest, Terminator 2 is still one of my all time favorite movies, and that came out in 1991. 
And mm-hmm. every time I watch it, I'm just totally blown away. And True Lies. I was oh, my God. I True love Lies. that movie. And you know what? True Lies isn't necessarily my type of movie. I'm not big into spy movies. Okay, but I'm probably Tom Arnold's only big fan. But that movie made you like the characters. Yeah. And when I watch True Lies, I always think, like, when it's coming on, I'm like, oh, boy, True Lies. And then I'm watching it. I'm like, these are fun scenes with fun characters and Jamie Lee and Tom and Arnold or Tom Arnold and Arnold are having but, so much fun on screen. And yeah, here, it just it, this felt like and I've heard actors say this. They get so bogged down in the technology screaming at the big stick with a ball on it. And I just felt like this was all a big exercise in technology. And I think he does a really good job normally in the action movies. But this was it wasn't to showcase the story or the action. And I think that they knew that going in, that this was all just going to be about the CGI and look what I can do. I have a question for James Cameron, and I know he's listening. Yes, he is. <laughs> James. Jim. Yes, if I may. Jimmy. <laughs> During your hiatus from theatrical filmmaking, did you go to the George Lucas School of Filmmaking to brush up? Because when you left film, you had the attitude that effects were there to serve the story. But now it seems like you're there because the story is there to frame the effects. Well, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a little bit of a defender. Let's put this in perspective. Let's look at the other people that are doing this. You mentioned Lucas, and that's certainly true. Let's look at those Zemeckis movies. He's doing motion capture, too. Oh, dear. Let's not. <laughs> Those movies freak me out. Which movies are those? Yes, like The Christmas Carol with Jim Carrey oh, or I can't, The Polar Express. I, I can't watch those movies. Beowulf, yeah. Yeah, they, they those scare are me. creepy. Yeah, and it's a, a lot of it is because of the face. They can't make those faces right, and Cameron really gets the face. The face is a big part of how we feel emotionally attached to a character, and that is why I really felt for Natiri. She has an awesome face in this, and you really just can't stop looking at her. She's actually a beautiful woman, aside from that, when she's not blue and has the... She was really awful. hot as Uhura. She's pretty. That's true. That's true. That's true. She is pretty, and that helps. But I li- and I, I liked her and Jake. I mean, I think I you know I don't know if Sam Worthington has a lot of dimension to him. I've seen him in Terminator, and I've seen him in this, and he's always kind of the same kind of uh, grumpy upstart. But I I liked them as characters. I I didn't care about the supporting characters. I cared about the primary characters. I wanted them to get together. I liked their love. I didn't really care about, you know, Sigourney Weaver. I love Sigourney Weaver, but her character is very perfunctory here. Her death is very perfunctory. It just She didn't get enough to develop. That's the thing is you probably could have been on her side yeah. and really I- felt for what she was doing had they taken that character and you could see that she was doing good. But obviously, you find out what three quarters of the way in the movie, there's a book that yeah. they've been writing or they wrote about the Navi. And that would have helped a lot if I knew that before, I think. Maybe they should have given us the book to flip through while yes. we were sitting through all the previews <laughs> and the pregame movie. There, You know, when they put out Dune, they gave everyone that came, and I don't think it was a big crowd, but they gave everyone that came <laughs> a sheet telling them all of this specific stuff. Like, it was a whole dictionary of terms <laughs> and stuff. And I think that the lesson learned there is we have to get into the movie because they're not going to read the pamphlet as they munch on their popcorn during the preview. So they they tried, you know, they did the best. But the thing is, again, if Jake Sully's turn to side with the Navi is a little bit abrupt for me, the fact that Sigourney Weaver and Michelle Rodriguez 
switch sides. Oh. And I'm just like, what the hell? Uh, Michelle mm. Rodriguez, they're like attacking. Michelle Rodriguez is flying a gunship and just goes, I don't get paid enough for this and switches allegiances. <laughs> and it's like, what the hell was that? Yeah, <laughs> you saw no uh, inkling that she was going to switch sides. I mean, she helped break them out, but Sigourney Weaver should have been the Uber company person because she was such a bitch in the beginning. And then all of a sudden, after the montage, now she's all on the Navi side as well. And you just, well, there's always, I mean, it's a cliche that there's the scientist against the military. That goes back to the 60s Star Trek stuff and probably before. It just felt so abrupt because when did she suddenly decide she was going to side with the Navi in a battle and all that? It was just so weird. Well, you know, there is a there's a, a subtext going on here that should be brought up, and it's always running through every James Cameron movie, and that is a battle of the sexes. I think it's subtext that Michelle Rodriguez is not down with men beating up on Mother Earth. And, you know, James Cameron has a big mother complex. The women in his movies do extraordinary things. When you look at Linda Hamilton's transformation in the Terminator films, uh, Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio comes back from the dead in The Abyss. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is a mousy housewife that becomes, you know, a super spy in True Lies. He is always taking women and exalting them in a form of warrior princess. I think we're expected to see Michelle Rodriguez's turn being about the fact that she's a, a woman in a, a male-dominated, nasty uh, military outfit. But he did it so poorly that you don't see it. You know what I mean? Oh, I know what you mean. I mean, I, I feel like Michelle Rodriguez is, uh, is a throwaway uh, recall to Vasquez from Aliens. And there's a lot of callbacks from Aliens in this movie. When the movie started, all I could think of was Aliens because they used the sleep chambers to travel through space right out of Alien. And then they have the battle mechs, which are one step above Sigourney Weaver's suit from Aliens when she's battling the Queen and all of that. It's nice to see mechs making a comeback in sci-fi because they're here and in District 9 and... Transformers in, in a way. To a point. But yeah, the battle mech on two legs. That was, I guess, all the kids who grew up playing like Mech Warrior are now making movies. Mm-hmm. Because before this, we only had battle bots. Yeah, and don't forget there's a scene where uh, the uh, military's in the jungle and they're looking at scanners and these these whole bleeping dots moving on their map coming towards them. I'm like, that was right out of Aliens. That's true. I didn't yeah. even put that together by that point. And, and you know, Sigourney we be, we were being there. Did you know that the uh, the military hard-ass guy that ends up getting played by Stephen Lang, it was originally cast Michael Bain was going to come back really? and do it. And Cameron finally at the last minute said, you know what? This is too much aliens. They're going to be confused. They're going to be thinking too much about my old stuff. And I need to have a new face. But that could have been Michael Bean. It should be. He could use the work. Yeah, I know he could. Where I didn't know he was still a working actor. He might but not be. He, well, he might, yeah. <laughs> but Cameron does feel like he's cribbing on himself. The tree falling over felt like the disaster uh, moment from Titanic with the boat sinking. Uh, a part where the, the military is going to drop a bomb and on the alien race, and that's straight out of the abyss. I mean, he definitely cherry-picked all his greatest moments from previous films and stuck them into this world. And that truly what he cared about was the technology in the world, but... The story is a patchwork, and I think it's, it's acceptable, but it's not moving. It's more exciting to think about what this technology could be in the future than it is to think about 
this movie in this moment right now. But let me tell you, once we get past all of their turning points and we get to those big battles, I want to go on the record. I'm not an action slut where I need to have explosions on the screen in order to enjoy the film. But my God, this film is so beautiful that the battles were just outrageous. And the final battle between Jake's avatar and Quaritch's mech was just such a brutal battle. And it just kept going. And it was, it reminded me again, to go back to Aliens, of Sigourney Weaver versus the Queen in that it had multiple rounds and you think it's done and it's not. And it becomes so personal. And it was a really heartfelt battle. I just wish that they could have built up the bad blood between the two a little bit more in the dialogue scenes. Well, you know, at the beginning, they say that these natives are nearly impossible to kill. But during that big battle scene, they were falling like flies. They said that their Mm -hmm. bones were like carbonite or something or carbon fuse. And they were so hard to kill, but they were picking them off quickly. So I'm not really sure. They also said they were poison-tipped arrows, but it didn't seem like the poison needed to work because one of those arrows would impale you and fling you way the hell back. Yes, but (laughs) notice that the guy in the mech warrior got hit twice and it took him up. The first one didn't even kill him instantly. Yeah. Well, yeah, he was a he was a badass though. At one point, he runs outside. The air is poisonous, and he doesn't have a mask on. And he's he did that repeatedly. Yeah, yeah, he was he was a hard ass. He he liked it, and I liked his character. I thought he, uh, Stephen Lang did a good job in a very one note role, but uh, was enjoyable in that part. It reminded me of every Michael Ironside role ever. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it could have been him, except he, I don't think he's built like that. But the other cool thing about that battle you mentioned, Arnie, is that it finally brings into play that Jake is really in a chamber and can be hurt. Because Stephen Lang's character is going to kill him in that chamber. He's going to kill the real Jake Sully. So it's not like the if the blue guy dies, oh, well, you've lost your body. He's going to kill Sam Worthington, Jake Sully, sleeping in the chamber – and the blue avatar has to stop the the machine from doing that. Yes, and I I loved that because it introduced real danger. It was I was right. like, yes, this is where it needed to go. Yeah, then this poison air starts leaking into the suit, and he keeps falling in and out of his avatar. I thought all of that was very exciting. Yeah, I thought that was very well done. I was I was mentally fist pumping that he mm. finally gave me what the movie had been lacking, which was some sense of danger, suspense. Yeah, the mm-hmm. suspense. You got five minutes of suspense there. And then, of course, Natiri finally gets to see uh, her lover in his true form. You know, they have this expression. They don't say, I love you. They say, I see you. And so she finally gets to really look upon him and save his life. Yeah, it, Cheesy, sure, but they had to do it, and it was the right note. That scene is the best moments of the movie. Oh, maybe the second best movie. I have to say, I do have a boner for the scene in which he gets uh, his banshee. The dragon scene, and he gets to go up there, and it's this whole quarry covered in dragons, basically. I just thought that was amazing. He walks through a waterfall and goes up there, and it's just like a kind of a moment of like, I can't believe I've got to find one dragon out of here who's going to try and kill me and make him my own. I thought that scene was probably my favorite, but the one you mentioned... 
are is is the one where the stakes were the highest. Yeah, the one with the dragon, I think I would have liked had it not again been in the middle of that montage. Yeah, it was basically just a big part of it, and it was the best part of the I'm becoming one with nature. Mm-hmm. It, it was the best part of it, but I just couldn't connect because again, it was like uh, it was just in the middle of our travel log. One thing that I noticed about this movie, and we did actually have to go back on IMDb and look, but it seemed. Well, the whole struggle with the native people and the, the military coming in and taking away their land for resources was very reminiscent of the Native American struggles in America. And a lot of people have said the movie reminds them of Dances with Wolves, but they call it Dances with Blue People. Blue Cat. Blue Cat People. <laughs> or Giant Smurfs. I'm, yeah. I have seen Dances with Smurfs. They did that on Jimmy mm-hmm. Kimmel the other night. <laughs> You know they're going to make a Thundercats movie now because of this movie doing well. It's just a given that they're like, oh, people want to see more blue cats. We need to do this. Well, Panthera was blue, yeah, or kind of grayish blue. Ooh, Chitara. (laughs) I don't know who that is, so. (laughs) Anyway, what I was getting to is when we got back and looked at everything on IMDb. Actually, it started when they were rolling credits. Yeah. And I'm like, CCH Pounder was in this? Who was CCH Pounder? And so I had to look it up and I'm like, oh, she was the shaman. And then all of a sudden something hit us. Yeah, they made all the natives African-Americans. And yet there were no people of color other than Michelle Rodriguez on the human side. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's very clear. And it should be said, this isn't the first time this has been done either. No. The main... The Matrix was was built, was framed in a similar way that darker ethnicities are oppressed by evil uh, military white. I never thought about that about the Matrix, but then they had to have a white guy come and save them. The whitest of white, Keanu. Yeah, same here. Yeah, that's true. It's kind of that's kind of a cliche. I mean, I think about glory. I think about dances with wolves. There's lots of stories about how indigenous people slash colored people are uh, expecting a white savior. You know, the last samurai I think was the most guilty of that. Of like Tom Cruise has to go in and save you know the Japanese people. Come on. Well, he did. Don't you know that? <laughs> he can create and destroy worlds. Yes, but he an- can. But I can't wait for that movie. But anyway, this movie was very. Much- much the storyline here if you cut off the avatar part it's very much dances with wolves it is but here's the other thing that kind of bothered me is they gave the navi kind of african-american features mm-hmm. they did. and it felt a little racist i would no i would like to just point out west studi is is american indian yes he is the yes he is the one non-african-american and he's an indian yeah so you have basically oppressed people playing the oppressed people yeah if if you well you know I guess. You know, I don't know how oppressed they are, the rich Hollywood actors. Yeah, I was going to say, I think we're more oppressed than <laughs> Zoe Saldana. Yeah. yeah, I think she's going to be just fine. But I'd like Zoe Saldana to oppress me. You know, historically, looking at race relations in, in America, yes, this is very much framed as white people come in and take Native people's land. There's deeper, more even potentially provocative political statements being made here about terrorism, too, as well. Well, well, did you kind of get the Blackwater vibe with the security company? Because they weren't military. Yes, that's correct. It's definitely a military that has been underwritten by corporate uh, interests and uh, is corporately motivated to get the dollar. And, um, you know, assuming how you feel about the Iraq war went, there are lots of parallels. Mm-hmm. They used the term shock and awe. I think that I think at one point he's talking to the troops. He says the terrorists win if we don't do this. I thought 
thought that was a stretch because I was trying to figure out who the hell the terrorists were. You know, it's like it, it's not really terrorists. Yeah. It's industrialization. It's going on in the Amazon right now. You know, you kill the native wildlife, whatever, to get the resources. But to mm-hmm. try to equate it to terrorists, it's like he was reaching too far with that. Well, it, it takes the it takes the presumption that we have to assume the invasion of Iraq was about the uh, acquiring of oil and had nothing to do with protecting ourselves from al-Qaeda. And I'm not going to get into a political commentary more than that, but it goes on that presumption. And All right, I didn't look at it from that perspective yeah. because, you know, there they were always called insurgents, not terrorists, right. pretty much. Right. And, and well, that's what this is, though. When you say terrorist, I'm specifically thinking al-Qaeda. And it's, the Navi never did anything. If the Navi were doing things like, you know, secretly bombing the base or, you know, doing some kind of sneak attacks to get the humans off the moon, mm-hmm. then I could have seen it. But the fact is, they were just happy as clams up in their tree. And I think that was a mistake. I think there there were several tribes. First of all, there's not just one Navi. There's like all these tribes, which we don't even know about the other tribes until the end. But it's like, uh, if we had had time to really explore all this, this could have been a mini-series. I think it would have been fair to show that at least some of the tribes were antagonistic to the people there, and that they were trying to mess with them. I think I think it would have been deserved, and I think it was needed to feel that conflict, to make it less... I would have liked one <laughs> scene of that, when Jake arrives, yeah. them having you know to deal with an attack or something, and then having the conversation between uh, Jake and Natiri, where Natiri says, oh, that's not our tribe, or something. You know, just give it to me. Tell me these things. Don't just imply and assume that I've watched all your making-of documentaries mm-hmm. and already know it going in. Yeah. yeah, I felt like I needed cliff notes. Cameron's a good storyteller. He did the best he could to streamline all these ideas, but clearly it's an indulgent immersive experience that goes well beyond what a three-hour, four-hour, five-hour movie could cover. It's enormous. Uh, Cameron was a good storyteller once. Now Cameron is a nature photographer. Well, I think... This movie is not good storytelling, period. I'm not going to argue that. I think it's serviceable. It's not good. Yeah, I've Armageddon had better storytelling and better character development. Oof! No, 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 it did have better character development. They did the same damn thing at Armageddon that they did here. They said, you've seen so many movies where this happens. We're just going to pretend like you already know who these people are and why they're doing what they're doing. Because you've seen it explored in other movies. So we're just going to get to the parts I wanted. Well, I'm not going to debate Bay versus Cameron, but I will say that I don't feel like Cameron has lost it. But I do feel like he was overwhelmed uh, with his idea. Perhaps he's rusty. He was overwhelmed. I mean, he was trying to do too much here. And I don't think anybody could have told this story and gotten all of these details in uh, any better. Now, Did we need these details? Did we need all of the luminescent plants getting their special scene? Or did we need more scenes of characters and less scenes of biology? Yeah. It's simply that, you know, we've Stuart and I have talked outside of this podcast about how the three Star Wars prequels needed to be a little bit rearranged because there was too indulgent in the first movie and then it was too top-heavy at the end. The, the same thing in Avatar is the first 90 minutes is too self-indulgent. Hey, look at this animal's nostrils and look at this plant glow and not enough character development. And had they changed focus and somebody else come in and maybe done a script polish and said, hey, why don't we focus on the characters instead of the plants? And maybe they filmed this but stuff But that's not what this is but- about. And... 
I will say this. This movie took enormous risks. And the fact that it pays off as well as it did, is it perfect? No. But the fact that I was invested at all is telling because let's think about Let's chart this up. They want us to watch a three-hour movie uh, about – Blue, ten foot tall blue people with no genitalia who copulate, sticking tails on each other, and who talk in a made up language. I mean, that should be the worst thing ever, right? That should be the most indulgent, uh, you know, Disney fied crap ever. And the fact that I cared as much as I did is a testament to Cameron's abilities as a filmmaker. Is it his best film? Not by a long shot. But I will say this, it, uh, it, it, this movie works because of his touch. My disagreement is I don't think this movie works. I think it hobbles along, but I do agree with you that under somebody else's direction, it might not have done as well as it did in the places it did well. But then again, under somebody else's direction, perhaps I wouldn't have spent so long looking at lily pads. Yeah, if Robert Zemeckis had attempted this, I think it would have been unwatchable. But I like looking at the lily pads. I mean, I think that's that's going to be key to anyone's enjoyment of this is do you like nature documentaries? Do you But like- it's fictional nature. It doesn't really exist. No, but that's that's part of the conceit. You got to go along with that it does exist. That National Geographic is showing you another planet. Well, you know what? I don't watch Nat Geo. Yeah. I don't. I don't like it. I don't. It's not my thing. And when I go to the movies, I don't go to the special Wednesday night we're going to show you in high def on a movie screen a documentary. I want to see a movie that tells me a story. It's about story for me. And this one chinsed on the story. I, it would be hard to argue that the story is perfect here. The only word I keep going back to again and again is serviceable. It was as good as it needed to be. No better and no worse. It was a B-movie plot. And they they got through it. You know what I almost thought? Here's what I thought at several points, especially with the montages and the way characters just jumped to their points rather than having any evolution. It reminded me of a poorly done cartoon movie. Like, I, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but perhaps some of those later Disney ones and things where, again, yes, they just kind of cliff note it and it's what it has to be to tell the story they are. But they're not going to get too deep in it because, hey, the audience is only five and what do we care? Really? OK, you, so you've actually hit on something. I was not going to bring this up, but you you said the word Disney and I, I feel I impelled to do Everyone talks about how, you know, Dancing with Wolves seems to be a, a, a blueprint for this, and I agree it was. But the movie I kept thinking about again and again and again was Pocahontas. I don't know if you've ever sat through that travesty. but I have. Oh, I haven't. Oh, God. I kept thinking – they even have a magical tree that is their grandmother. I mean, like, it really – there's a lot of similarities between Pocahontas and this, and it is a it is a it is that story. And, and so, there are are some moments where it does have a D- Disney-fied, cheesy quality to it. The storytelling works on the same level, and depending on how you feel about Disney is whether those scenes will work for you. I, I did chafe. You used the word chafe. I, there were times where I did groan, you know. You're just like, okay, that is how uh, Disney characters talk to one another. Let me talk about the ending here just to close out, because at the end, Jake transfers into his avatar body, which is something set up. Sigourney Weaver gets shot in the belly, and the shaman says, we can put her essence from her human body into her avatar body. How the shaman knows this, no clue. Have Were there a lot of, of 
soulless bodies sitting around. But they have had the avatars before because they knew what they were. And obviously they have explored this moon well enough to have written a book. Yeah, it's been three years of them up there or maybe even more. I mean, they call it they, – and they have slang for them. They call them what? Dreamwalkers? Is that what they – Dreamwalkers. Yeah. 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 They're blue well, monkeys to the to the industrialists, and the the blue monkeys call them dreamwalkers. So that's kind of a fun new slang on uh, racial epithets. But they have the scene with Sigourney Weaver trying to transfer into her avatar body, and I expected that to work because I'm like James Cameron did this in Terminator Two. Is Arnold loses an arm, but hey, they have another robotic arm. And so you think they can fix him, but wait, we're going to fool you. We're going to lower Arnold into the molten lava and kill him. And so I'm thinking that James Cameron's playing that trick again of we're going to make you think that Jake can become his avatar, but fooled you, we're going to kill Jake. And Mm -hmm. because of Titanic specifically, the whole movie, I think Jake is going to die. I think Mm -hmm. Jake is destined for death. And at the end, when he's choking on gas, I think he's destined for death. And then even when they he recovers from the gas, and it's at the very end, and they're trying to transfer his body, and I'm like, it's not going to work. It didn't work for Sigourney. He's going to die. And it it didn't. It, instead, it was complete wish fulfillment. He became his avatar. His soul transferred from one body to the other. And see, that really would have worked had the audience really empathized with him that he didn't fit into the human world anymore or that he was really struggling with his disability but you didn't get any of that so it, it, it was, came with it all the weight off. of an agnostic becoming christian to marry somebody yeah you know? exactly it, it really it just felt kind of like i don't really care what body i have i'll just be in whatever body i have to to be with you I, it's like i don't care what religion i am i'll be whatever religion you want me to be so we can get married mm-hmm. that- well I don't know. I believe that he cared about, his, you know, he got to do cool stuff. He got to plug into trees and fly on dragons and stuff like that. But you didn't get that feeling. There was nothing there. There was make... no, like, do I want to do this moment? Yeah. But my question was, the reason I brought this up, did you think he was going to die? And do you think he should have died? I never once thought he was going to die. You didn't? No. I did believe that it was going to be a tragic story. I wasn't sure. I didn't think they would get together. That's all I could say. I didn't know if it was going to be death. I knew something would prevent them from being together. I thought he might go back as a human, and they might have a longing moment where they look at each other, him human and her, you know, obviously a Navi, and that would be it. Yeah, I thought it would be a tragic story. Cameron doesn't kill women. I don't think a woman has ever died in one of his movies until Scorny Weaver dies here. What about but- uh, some die in Aliens? But they're okay. not important. I, yeah, I, I guess I meant the uh, the heroine. The heroine never dies in a, in a Cameron movie. But see, I thought that Natiri was going to die, and that's what would turn him. Because I knew how the story was going to play out based on what I saw in the trailer. I thought she was going to die at the hands of that crazy guy with the three scars in his head, the military guy. It is, yeah. And I thought that was going to cause his character to turn and join the Navi side. But that didn't happen. It would have been a better story if he avenged her death, I guess. Kind of trite, but... Yes, he needed some motivation, mm-hmm. which we did not get. Yeah, I'm not sure what the fix is. I don't think it's bad that they got to be together. I mean, I actually... There was a certain part where I thought they might not be together, and then after they both live fighting the military guy, I was like... And she puts the mask on him, and she, I see you. I'm like, okay, he's not going to die. So when they're doing the ceremony to transfer him to the body, I knew that he was going to pop into that body. I knew that's how it would end. You know how I knew that that's how it was going to end? 
the music. James Horner's music spoiled the surprise because it wasn't sad music. It wasn't suspenseful music. It was glorious music. I hated Horner's score in this, really, I did. You tune into music a lot because you're a music person. And, you know, I guess... But that music was birth music. It wasn't death music. And if he'd gone suspenseful with it or something, I might have wondered. I think the music... But because of the music and you had the choir going, and I knew that he was going to open his eyes. I felt the music was so inconsequential, did not stir any emotions like a good score does. You know what I mean? (laughs) Usually a score will add to what you're feeling already and enhance it, and this had nothing. It felt like outtakes from both his Titanic score and his Star Trek II score at points. Yeah, okay. Only you would know that (laughs) well he brought back some of the instruments from those that are not common instruments and the choir and things i just it was kind of a blah score but i bet you'll find it on a nature documentary on the discovery channel someday yeah it definitely felt very new agey and not very distinct and it was surprising because i do think of horner as as having hooks i usually think of his music as really having anthems that 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 theme from aliens is still one of my favorites and uh yeah i'm a fan of his work so um it was uh unmemorable it was i don't really i couldn't hum you a bar of it that's for sure it it was like the movie though it felt like the music you'd just see if you're watching nat geo yeah yeah i th- i think i think that might be your uh, measuring stick on this one is like do you watch national geographic channel you ought to think about that before you go to the movie and so i guess that brings us to stuart marjorie do you recommend avatar I'll go first. Sure. I, I, I don't see how you could not want to have the experience of uh, going to Pandora and, in, and, and seeing where we're at with the technology. I don't think that the story is weak enough to prevent you from being entertained. I am much more excited about where we're going to go in the future. I'm, uh, you know what? I don't want a sequel to this. I don't want an, any extended universe, anything. I think the best you could get out of this is a really bad Cartoon Network show. I think that he needs to leave Pandora behind, and I really think he's going to make something even more awesome the next time using this technology. So I'm inspired uh, by the movie, but it's a lukewarm recommendation for Avatar, a story in outer space. I think that the 3D is utterly amazing and it will change your mind on the gimmickiness of the 3D movies. However, I'm going to have to go with a not recommend because I think that while the 3D is visually stunning and it's beautiful, the story's not there. And we paid $12 each for these tickets and kind of left like, huh, wow. Well, it was pretty, but you didn't really feel anything for the story. It wasn't an all-around experience. And I just, I don't think it's worth the extra money to see it in 3D because you're not getting a great story. And if you really want to see something fabulous in 3D, maybe they're going to have a nice nature documentary come out on a Wednesday night like they do that Fathom events. This is hard for me because I was literally just bored during the beginning of this movie. But the end battle was spectacular. The technology is great. The story is I would call it just underserviceable. If I was the insurance adjuster on this story, I'd have to really decide whether or not the story's totaled or if we could pay to fix the story. I'm going to just, just, you know, I'm, I'm right down the middle. I, I, I'm just going to have to go a hair on not recommend because the story isn't good. The effects are great. Now, I definitely, I would come down very hard on the not recommend side if you're seeing this in 2D because mm. here's the thing. The story isn't good. 
It's not good. It's boring. It's a very colorful world, too. And you might see some vibrant colors in 2D, but you're going to lose the awe factor of the 3D. And so when you take away the awe factor of the 3D and you take away the fact that the story is not very good and not very original and you've seen this story before done better, then really run screaming as if your hair is on fire from this in 2D. But in 3D, you know, it, I, I went into this movie saying when I review this movie, I'm not going to just say it's good for the technology. But my God, it, it was beyond what I had expected. And it's a spectacle. It is just a spectacle. But at a certain point, I disengaged and I went, yep, it's pretty for the high up 1000th time. And I'm I, I, I became desensitized to the beauty after 45 minutes of lackluster story. And at no point did this movie engage me. And here's what I said at the beginning. This is the best so far, but they will be better next year and maybe it'll have a good story attached. Cameron has already signed up. He's not going to take another 12 years to make a movie. He's going to put something out in 2013. And I'm, I'm really excited about that. I think you're right. I think this is the start of something really good. And I do want to qualify my review just a little. If you're going to see Avatar at all, you have to go see it in 3D. Do not watch it on video. Uh, when I look at these images on TV, I go, that looks like video game garbage. When I saw it with the glasses on, I said, this is amazing. This is real. Absolutely. This is if, if you're in the video store wondering, should I rent this? No, it's not a good movie. If mm-hmm. you're looking to save a few bucks and you want to see it in 2D or you live in a crap town like we do and they didn't have 3D until very recently, if you don't have 3D and you're thinking, should I go see Avatar? No, no. you shouldn't. If you get a chance to see it in 3D and you are a geek like I am and you love seeing technology displays for technology's sake, you might see this. You want to know what I really recommend? Is show up for the last 45 minutes because the last 45 minutes is really good and there's not even any character development to make you attached to the characters beforehand that worked for me. So you'd get the same out of that last 45 minutes as you would just walking in off the street. The last 45 minutes, great. The first two hours, boring. So I just come down on not recommend. I I love the idea of it, but this movie. I mean, yes, it's. I'm of two minds about it. You know, as a as a special effects marvel, it's fantastic. As a uh, movie about colonization in space, eh, you know, I wouldn't watch this if it were animated. I wouldn't watch this if it were not done in the way that it's done. But the other thing I thought was really odd was that there is a promotional tie-in with McDonald's for this movie. And I just, I don't see it as that kind of movie. And it wasn't heavily advertised because, I mean, let's face it, everywhere you drive, you're probably driving by a McDonald's on your way, no matter where you go. And you're not seeing the signs everywhere like you do for the latest Disney movie. But it's just kind of weird that they have, you know, Avatar value meals. and Well, they had a huge marketing campaign, a huge marketing campaign, but a lot of it was viral. A lot of it took place under the radar. It didn't use traditional media to plug this one i feel like it was much more a web thing you know and see my only experience with the movie was prior to seeing it was the footage at comic-con which everybody's talking about and then mad because they couldn't get in because of the twilight girls and they had it all over the signs for comic-con on the streets in the buses Mm -hmm. but i don't follow mcdonald's on twitter or facebook because i don't really eat there so perhaps i've missed out on something but I just found it was weird that there's a McDonald's tie-in for this movie. Well, they want this and need this to be Star Wars, to be successful. It needs to be a phenomenon like that. If and Star they do Wars, have the toys. Yeah, yeah. 
If Star Wars can be in a Happy Meal, then I guess Avatar can be. But unlike Star Wars, I just don't see where this one can go from here. I think it's a very uh, complete world, and I think we've seen it, and I think we want to go somewhere else now. If I was bored, a kid will be screaming down the aisles. Really, no eight-year-old will sit through this. No, no, not at all. And yet eight-year-olds sit enraptured with Star Wars. This, This is beautiful, but it's beautiful like... Going to the Museum of Modern Art is beautiful. It's not beautiful. Some, like, some people like museums, are <laughs> But do kids? Do kids like yeah, them? Stuart, when you were eight years old, would you have gone to MoMA and been able just to sit there and enjoy everything? Uh, at eight years old, no. Yeah. That's what I'm saying is kids will be freaking bored. So, all right. Well, thank you both for joining me to talk about Avatar. And Stuart, you, I, and Brock will be back after the new year to go back to the future. Yes, sir. And if you enjoyed this review, or even if you didn't, head to our website at nowplayingpodcast.com where you can listen to some of our other reviews where we've done a number of movie series. We've done Terminator where Stuart, I, and Marjorie deconstructed two other of James Cameron's and one other of Sam Worthington's films. And we also did Friday the 13th, Halloween, House of a Thousand Corpses as well as many individual movie reviews. You can find it all at nowplayingpodcast.com. If you're on Facebook, you can go to facebook.com forward slash nowplayingpodcast and become a member of our Facebook page. If you're on Twitter, you can follow nowplayingpod and get our updates. That way, we all post various thoughts on movies we're watching at the time, as well as updates when our new shows come out. So thank you both. We are now leaving Pandora, and we'll talk to you in the future about Batman. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Now Playing. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review for us on iTunes or post about us on Facebook, Twitter, or your social media avenue of choice. You can find more Now Playing movie reviews at our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. We've reviewed several individual movies as well as many movie series, including Saw, Halloween, Friday the 13th, Star Trek, Terminator, and more. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2009, and is not affiliated with Lightstorm Entertainment or 20th Century Fox. Avatar is copyright and trademark, Lightstorm Entertainment, and no infringement is intended. Starring Sam Worthington, Zoe Saldana. Zoe Saldana. <laughs> Zoe Saldana, Stephen Lang, Michelle Rodriguez, Giovanni Ribisi, and Sigourney Weaver. Giovanni Ribisi! If you're going to do uh, uh, foreign accents for all the names, you should, you should make it more Italian. It's a Giovanni! He's a Ribisi! <laughs> <laughs> well, you were like, Michelle Rodriguez! Aliva, aliva! Zoe Saldana! Michelle Rodriguez. <laughs> okay. It's got some people in it and some blue people in it. Let's go.
I'm sorry. Was I the only one thinking Lawnmower Man cyber sex when Yake and Natiri linked tails? It just reminded me again of Lawnmower Man cyber sex. No one was thinking about Lawnmower Man. <laughs> Pierce Brosnan doesn't think about Lawnmower Man. Stephen King sued them because they used his name in Lawnmower Man. No, Arnie, you're the only one. <laughs> I'm sure Jeff Fahey <laughs> gets a residual check. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. Um, yeah. All right, Marjorie walked up for a second. Hold okay. on. <laughs> yeah. What about uh oh Matt Matt Frewer who played Job in the sequel to Lawnmower? Mm, and Max Hedrum. Yeah, he's he's used to that. Um, yeah, I I didn't think of Max Hedrum. I didn't think of uh, uh, Lawnmower Man at all. I'm sorry to do this now. I have to interrupt the podcast. I can't hold my urine any longer. <laughs> oh. Whoa. That's going on the uh, uh, the blooper reel. No, because he's the one who does the editing. Ah, uh, so shit. it's probably not going to go on the blooper reel because he's very careful not to put himself. I noticed that. I'm yes, I do. Silly stuff. It's only like you and I or mm-hmm. you and Jacob. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 